Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Welcome to the MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ Lafura. Alongside me, I've got Brandon Karam, and we are a Belly Up Sports podcast. We are what they aren't. Brandon, another exciting, fast, furious night of ALDS baseball. How are you doing? And I have to ask, is this a historic first game that we're going to be talking about here between the Red Sox and the Rays. It certainly is. The one word I would not use, the one adjective is fast. Both of them (laughs) painstakingly long. Uh, Even when you disregard all the extra innings in this Rays-Red Sox game, these postseason games is just ridiculous. The the time of game that, that... we've been seeing it certainly doesn't help the case that you know uh to the average fan that that a baseball is uh a boring sport because, because to the it's average not fan even boring it's it's actually just, watching yeah right it, it's just ugh, i don't know it, it fast is definitely not a word i would use but we will get into right into this raise red Sox game it's the hot topic Everyone is talking about everyone has their own opinion. I was very opinionated about this uh, in our fantasy football group chat. I've since come to terms with a few things, but still have a lot of opinions. But let's get into, you know, we're eventually going to get to the crazy moments. But top top one. uh, We'll we'll skip. Do we want to even just do, do we even want to do inning by inning or do we just want to talk about this game? Because I'm just going to talk about the scoring events, honestly, uh, because I think it's important with like the way that the, the, at least the the way the teams use their pitching. Um, Top one, Austin Meadows goes deep, two run home run, uh, often Nathan Avaldi after Wander Franco with yet another single LJ. The guy literally gets a hit in every game. It, you know, I'm telling you, there are guys who are technically more scary than Wander Franco, like statistically on this team. Guys that are more apt to hurt you severely. He's the only guy I genuinely never want to face. Like, I don't want to see the guy come up. And it's an interesting point because I saw it on Twitter today. He's probably a top 20 player in the MLB right Easily. now at Easily. this moment. 
he's and, already my favorite player. <laughs> which is certainly not fun. Yeah, I can't wait to do that podcast next year again. That yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Favorite, one of my favorites we did all year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but Austin Meadows goes deep. It's two to nothing. Tampa, we go to the bottom of the first. Kyle Schwarber rips a home run of his own. It is two to one. But Boston ends up taking the lead in the third inning thanks to a Kike Hernandez uh, RBI single and then a Rafi Devers RBI single. Uh, LJ, I believe at one point during this game, Kike Hernandez had a hit in like what his last nine or seven at bats or something. Because he, he went three for five yesterday with a ridiculous line, ridiculous amount of RBIs. And he started this game three for three just what he's been doing is crazy he, uh, he is I, I honestly I mean maybe we'll go through and find somebody you like better I think it's fair to say that there's not a better baseball player right this second in the world tomorrow that might very well change a week from right now this second at short right this second this is the best baseball player in the world well keep it normal at some point but give him that well, Kike Hernandez, let's not forget, uh, did outsell Mike Trout's jersey uh, in the preseason. So something worth noting. Um, he ends up going deep in the fifth inning to extend the Red Sox lead to four to two. That's a solo homer in his second of the series makes it four to two. We were then scoreless until the top of the eighth. Avaldi goes through five innings, uh, five innings, three hits, two earned runs, eight Ks. The Tampa Bay uh, pitcher, Drew Rasmussen, two innings, six hits, three earned runs. They end up using basically everyone out of their bullpen. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Red Sox turn it to Josh Taylor, pitches a clean inning. Ryan Brazier, clean inning. Uh, Austin Davis, clean inning or clean out there. Hansel Robles comes in and does not pitch well for the Red Sox. Red Sox have a two- Can we stop real quick? Sure. Uh, Time out because I do want to mention something about the uh, Brazier big fudge inning because, or four batters, because it's honestly fascinating. Brandon, you think about most guys come in situationally, you know, top of the order or whatever that might be. Well, you don't usually think about them coming in for the exact same situation mm. consistently. Brandon, this is now back-to-back games that Alex Cora has brought Ryan Brazier out to face the exact same three batters. Very and interesting. Only, and only those three batters. He got them, got them out in order and he immediately pulled them. Hey, if it works, I mean, I mean I, I'm just I'm just so curious to figure out what he knows and why it's working so well. But like it's it's works it flat out works so i mean keep do you keep doing it i I mean without knowing exactly what you're seeing i can't say whether you keep doing it until it doesn't work or not but it's fascinating to me absolutely i did not know that and didn't realize that but that is very very interesting uh regardless of that the red sox bring in hansel robles in the eighth inning they are only six outs away from securing this win. He allows a solo home run to Wander Franco. He was, I believe, the fourth youngest player to ever hit a homer in the postseason. The others 
being Adam Jones, Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and maybe I forget who the other one was. Um, still. So basically three good players and Manny Machado. Okay. Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. Um, after that, Randy Arena rips a double to Alex Verdugo. And I believe it was on this play where Kyle Schwarber uh, doesn't know that there's a base path there and you can't just stand in the way. You watch the replay. So Randy Rosarena trips over Kyle Schwarber running to second base. Schwarber literally steps, and I know it's unintentional, but he literally steps right into the path of Rosarena right before he runs into him and he's because he's not looking at him, but he literally just takes a step forward right into a Rosarena's path. There's the, the fact that there's no obstruction or interference called there is crazy, crazy to me. It, and I know it's unintentional, but yeah. every interference call ever is unintentional pretty much. I mean, I think the only way I can justify this now, Brandon, I agree it was obstruction. And what it comes down to, to me, is just inexperience because you think this guy has played in the outfield for pretty much his entire major league career in the outfield. Once you're out of the play, you can largely do whatever you want. You can walk to your next spot. You can do whatever at first base. If it looks like it's going to come to you and all of a sudden it gets through, get through the hole. You can't just walk around the infield without the spatial awareness. So that is on him. The only way I guess I could justify that is them perhaps saying and I don't know what the exact rule is on whether it's how much of a judgment call it is for the umpire or not but would he have gotten to third if it had been obstructed no he was pretty easily he was there was no way he was getting I don't know if there's a way he was getting to third on that ball I I'm gonna disagree that ball that uh I believe uh Kike Hernandez dives for it it gets by him like Hugo was there though I don't know. Randy can fly, man. He's he's got the burners. And with some of the base running that he was doing later in the game, which just proves how stupidly aggressive he can be sometimes. I think you know which play I'm talking about there. Yes, but actually, before we skip ahead to that, can we skip ahead to the fact that is Manny, is Manny Margot okay? Does he know how to run the freaking bases in the playoffs? Is correct me if I'm wrong. This is the same guy that was out at home in the World Series last year, out stealing home, and then he has the play tonight, which really helped a lot. In that, uh, I believe that was an extra innings inning. He gets a hit, gets a single, and then overslides the base. And you know, great job getting getting the tag on. He there. was barely off the base, like it was. Oh, I know, but you can't. It, you it can't was. Make, if you're going to be flying like that, you can't make mistakes. No, I know. And it and, and when you watch the replay in like slow motion, it is so small of an amount that his foot came off that base. It's crazy to me. He was out. He was certainly out, but just nuts to that. It literally comes down to small stuff like that. You're right. That was the Rays base running, honestly. Like, yeah, they're really aggressive, or at least they have been this series. I just don't know what some of some of these choices that they, that they made are. But regardless of that, that Randy Arosarena double ties up the game at four. Uh, Mike Zanino, the next batter, ends up striking out. We go to the ninth where 
Uh, both teams are unable to do anything. We go to extra innings. Uh, LJ, let me just say, I love that there's no uh, runner on second base rule in, ex- well, uh, in the playoffs. It's in almost short, like and, the way that baseball is meant to be. Well, you are the person who, who was a big proponent yeah, of the I mean, extra I, inning rule. I mean, I'm not against it in the middle of the season. When when I when I genuinely care about pace of play is in the regular season when I mean it's not that the games don't matter but they don't matter as much like I don't feel I don't feel this intense pressure like yes I like to watch the Red Sox I love to watch the Red Sox but at the same time if I missed an inning or I was distracted doing some other form of work I wouldn't it wouldn't be that big a deal. In the postseason, you want to see every at-bat. And so no matter what, I I don't think I – in that regard, I don't care how long the game is. I just want to see the game through. So it doesn't need to be sped up in the playoffs. But I think overall it's better for the players and better for the game for it to be sped up during the regular season is my thoughts. No, that's a great point. Uh, I agree with that, and I believe they are getting rid of the rule – for next year, I think I saw that somewhere. Uh, more than likely, it will be gone. I, I honestly wouldn't care. Well, yeah, same. Uh, Nothing big a deal. Especially the Yankees. The two games I went to this year, they lose in extra innings. Uh, made me not a fan of the rule, but I understand it. And uh, for as many games as we lost in extras, we there was games we won by the rule too. Yeah. Anyways, Mark, Mark Melanson's stock significantly improves without having the runner on second base oh my god not having him not having to pitch from the stretch are you kidding me he's he's is that jacob de grom out there i mean (laughs) anyways uh in extras here let's see 10th inning i don't before we get to extras i I know i I feel like bad i keep cutting you off oh no you're good um, you also, certainly had a much better feel of this game than I did as I kind of tuned in in like the seventh inning and watched oh, from then on. So you missed you missed the height of the Red Sox play because they were on fire. Even in the innings that they did not score early, they were threatening the whole way through. Mm. And a large part of that was their success right from the jump and being aggressive. Brandon, leadoff batters in this game started off six for six. Wow. They did not get a leadoff batter out in the first six innings of that game. And that, um, that goes, that goes as, as one of two parts in how the Red Sox offensively flat out outplayed them more than the box score, I think shows because the other thing you have to look at here and yes, it did get a little different in the last inning with the uh, play we're gonna, we'll be talking about soon enough. But before that, the bottom of the... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Ray's lineup was like one for 12. Terrible. And not only that, but Brandon Lau, 0 for 6 with three strikeouts. He doesn't have a hit this series yet. Arguably their best player in the regular season. Uh, And someone I'm going to be at least bringing up when we talk about the MVP uh, ballot later in this show. Unacceptable. He, He hasn't even got on base. I mean, a zero OPS. This series through three games. Uh, I mean, good on the Red Sox pitching, but they consistently are putting this guy in the leadoff spot, and they have Randy Rosarena's hitting sixth. I, I, I don't. I'm not sure I understand the lineup logic very much there. But regardless, uh, yeah, the Rays offense just seems like there's so many automatic outs in this lineup for the team that scored the second most runs in the league. I mean. Nelson Cruz just looks lost up there. Yeah, you're right. So, like, that, then that ultimately becomes the difference. How do you compete when, I mean, yes, they have Randy Rosarena at the bottom, which, I mean, again, one for five in this game. Yes, he has that one RBI, but that's still – that's one for five. You get three hits out of your last four batters as opposed to the Red Sox. You go two, three, four, one, two – or I'm sorry, one, three, four, seven out of the last four. So like, I mean, it's such, it's not only is it a huge plus to have J.D. Martinez in the bottom of that lineup, which again, I think we can also revisit the Rafi Devers thing because it's not, it's not getting better. It's not going to, it's getting worse now. I think you're right, Brandon. I wasn't ready to move him down out of that three spot before tonight because it hadn't been a true hindrance. His injury hadn't been a hindrance to lineup, but the Rays have figured it out. And it was apparent in this game. It's not, again, not really Rafi's fault. He can't get anything in the top half of the zone. He cannot get to it. And I'm not sure what this injury is, whether it's back, arm, whatever it is, but you watch his, you watch his bottom hand when he's swinging. So just some, something in there is up. He's not getting to anything in the top half of the zone. They know that. So what purpose is there to giving him anything that is outside of the zone and anything that isn't in the top half of the zone? And especially if um, there is some sort of like injury that's affecting his swing, just like throwing fastballs. I know he's a good fastball hitter, but if he can't catch up to anything, a fastball high just seems like the, the key to get this guy out and, yeah, he has a big hit for the Red Sox early, but other than that, him and Xander Bogarts both looked not good at the plate today. Yeah, Xander looked thrown off. There was a uh, not and again not complaining not complaining about calls, but there was a rough stretch of calls in that first inning between Devers and Bogarts, and I think it it didn't affect Bogarts, but for a guy who already just looked a little lost at the plate to start the diet. He got getting no help and getting no easing into the game 
in that first inning did not help him. But yeah, I mean, it's just, you're, you're right. Like it's, it's so bad. I mean, you don't think about how much eliminating half of the option neutralizes a a great hitter because realistically he's only gotten one ball down in the zone all series. And that was the one he jacked out of the trap in game two. Yeah. Well, in the 10th inning, let's see. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a Garrett Whitlock. Actually, he went in inning in a third, uh, three strikeouts. He looked really good. But in the top of the 10th, the Red Sox call on Nick Pivetta, who I believe was supposed to start tomorrow's game or Monday's game, which means now Martin Perez will be taking the ball in uh, for game four. Not necessarily here. That's the thing. Brandon, we effectively have. three different options that could very easily go tomorrow or in the next game. And I wouldn't be surprised. Not at all. Are you saying Chris sale is an option? I am saying seeing Chris sale was a bullpen option tonight. And the fact that he only made it one inning, I would not be shocked if Chris sale tried to give it two times through the order on very short rest. Eduardo Rodriguez is also up. He's due. Keep in mind that as well. It would be slightly short rest, but if they wanted to march him out there instead of Martin Perez, that is also very much an option. So at this point, look, I love, love, love the fact that Alex Cora started doing the win at all costs. There's no such thing as a rotation or a bullpen in the playoffs mantra in the middle of the World Series. I love even more he's never stopped that now in his playoff appearances. Yeah. There is just, there, there is no separation between the two. You're going to, he's, he's going to pitch his best guys and what's going to give him the best chance to win that game when he does. And he'll figure out the rest later. So I, I respect the hell out of it. And it really worked tonight. Brandon, I think we can make an argument in terms of my lifetime this might this from Nick Pavetta, which we're going to get into here, might have been the second most inspired bullpen performance I've seen. And I'm going to guess the first is Avaldi in the 2018 World Series. And I think if you had asked me, and if you'd asked some Red Sox fans after this game, I mean, certainly um, a couple of friends of ours were very strongly in favor of Nick Pavetta, which I am. They were a little more ra- they were even even more romantic about it than I was might have said that it was arguably better because of the result. And boy, do the Rays feel dumb for trading away Nick or excuse me, uh, excuse me for trading away a Nathan Avaldi in 2018 for Jalen Beeks in the middle of the season to the Red Sox. Uh, that, that geez, that's certainly a trade the Rays didn't win there as Beeks, I believe, had Tommy John at the start of this year. He's not really been the best. Other than that, uh, yeah, let's get into action. Evaldi was a free agent that year. That's right. Okay, so it does make sense. Uh, but in extras, the 10th inning, Nick Pivetta comes in. Uh, 
He allows leadoff single to Manny Margot. After that, uh, he's able to get Manny Margot screws himself over. Yeah, so he got the next two outs, and then Manny Margot gets caught stealing to end the inning. Uh, bottom ten, they bring the Rays bring in David Robertson for he's pitched in all three games of the series now. Uh, he replaced. Who was that? Was it J.T. Chargois? Chargois? Is that how you say it? Sure. Sure. <laughs> J.T. is what we're going to call him. Um, he gets a clean inning there. Another, you know, with a couple of mound visits from the pitching coach, as we've talked about. We're just huge fans of mound visits. In the 11th, Randy Arena with a leadoff walk, immediate mound visit. Uh, Randy then steals second. Then huge two outs for Nick. Well, no, that's the, that's the spot you want. We wanted to stop at as well, about Randy Rosarena, because if I'm correct. Oh yes, that's this yes. is it here. Yeah. Because basically, here's what. All right, so here's what happens on this. Keep in mind they're in a shift, a, a uh, lefty shift. So basically, Rafael Devers is playing shortstop if shortstop was a weak shift to the to the right mm-hmm. like he's even farther than shortstop in this one honestly if he could have just poked it down the line this game is probably over and he does but he doesn't end up doing that uh randy rosarena ends up deciding to steal and we get a bad throw i will say a bad throw from vasquez to rafael devers who is covering second and now a third baseman getting a truly bad throw, like right. It was, it was a very awkward spot and away from the bag for him. There, there was really no way I was actually expecting a guy playing out of position to be able to come up with that grab. But Randy Rosarena doesn't quite see where it goes and just decides to take off some, from second towards third. Well, Xander Bogarts is playing a very good um, backup of Rafael Devers gets the ball easily and fires it over towards third. Randy Rosarena puts on the brakes, but unfortunately and almost agonizingly, because I think if he hadn't gotten involved, Vasquez makes the play, which great hustle by Vasquez to get down to third to cover on that. But Vasquez is standing at third base. Nick Pavetta comes over to get involved in the pickle, cuts the throw off from Vasquez. And then all of a sudden, almost immediately, you can tell that if Nick Pavetta has ever been involved in a pickle in his life, it has been at least five to six years since he has been involved in this pickle and just does not know how to make a strong throw to second, kind of lollipops it in and Randy Rosarena gets away with one. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because, so it's a bad throw by Vasquez. The ball kind of pops up and just barely goes behind the base. Like the ball's not even on the outfield grass. Randy thinks the ball is just completely in the outfield. He just takes off for third, and I'm literally sitting there, LJ, and I say out loud, what the hell is he doing? Randy then, he must have heard the crowd yelling or something because he turns, and he's like, oh, shit, like the ball is literally right there, hits the brakes, starts to run back to second. I think maybe part of Nick Pavetta's thought process is like, if I make a bad throw here, because we know that some some pitchers have a lot of trouble 
throwing the ball normally to bases. He's thinking, if I make a bad throw here and it goes into the outfield, I look so stupid. Then why get involved? He went out of his way. He like, panicked. He no, panicked. Don't, don't get me wrong. This isn't like the Manny cutoff, but like. <laughs> yes, that's a that's a fantastic play also. <laughs> it, it took effort for him to be able to get involved in that play. And then he just completely just, oh. not to mention he could also see, like the rest of that team had rallied to the ball. Renfro, Renfro was in farther. Um, I think, it, was that Dahlbeck by that time? Or was that still Schwarber? Dahlbeck was going to be the next guy. To, uh, yes, Dahlbeck had come in, right? Yeah, so he, but he, yeah, so whoever the third baseman was, first baseman was, was already over there at that point. Like, there was plenty of bodies on that side to get it if this throw really went awry. So that shouldn't have been that much of a thing. Speaking of which, that reminds me of the earlier point in the game because we missed uh, the saga of Kyle Schwarber's error. Did you catch any of that? I did. That was a very funny sequence. Oh my gosh. So keep in mind, this is this guy's 11th career uh, start at first base. 10 of which he made this year. Yes. No. 10 with the Red Sox. He played one game with the Cubs at first. But he hadn't played one at first before this year, right? Oh, Um, one one with the Cubs. Yeah, I just heard you. Um, Anyway, yeah, so certainly not a skilled first baseman. When I say he whiffed on the first flip to Eovaldi, I mean, this is possibly the single worst flip I have ever seen in my life. It goes at least like two feet above Eovaldi's head. Talk about a hot mess. Brandon, you would be just as nervous as Kyle Schwarber was to make the second one as he was, but he makes it. And I've never literally the same play, like exact exact same spot. Exactly. Like it was meant to be. I have never seen somebody celebrate an average play as intensely as he did there. I think the funny part is so like he makes the play, the crowd, you know, gives him the good old standing ovation there. Cause you know, it's, it, everyone understands what happened. If you watch that play with no context of what previously (laughs) happened, you would be so confused and just be like, what is going on right now? Like what, why is he tipping his cap to the crowd? Why are they giving him a standing ovation for flipping the ball to first base? Uh, Yeah, but uh, very a little bit more. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah. In the 11th, uh, 
nothing really ends up happening for either team in the bo- or in the bottom of the 11th. Arroyo does get a big double mound visit. Dahlbeck strikes out. Kike hits a ground out. We go to the 12th. All right. In the 12th inning, Rays go one, two, three. Red Sox go one, two, three as the Rays bring in Luis Patino to replace David Robertson. He pitches a very nice inning. 13th inning is where we get into the good stuff. All right. Yandy Diaz singles with one out uh, in the top of the 13th. Randy Rosarena lines out now. So there's two outs. Kevin Kiermeyer steps up to the plate. He hits the ball to right field. The ball. So now remember, there is a runner on first base with two outs. Okay. So the runner is running on contact. He hits the ball to right field. The ball hits the wall off the short wall in right field, which is pretty hard to do in the first place, right in front of the bullpen there. Ball hits the wall, hits the warning track, then hits Hunter Renfro, and then goes back over the fence. Everyone, first of all, when I saw it on TV, I thought it was a home run. I was like, what happened? Like, that's a home run, right? Eventually, I'm thinking, okay, like the ball bounced on the warning track and went over. That's my second thought when I see. That was my first thought. So we're on the same page now. Then I see the replay and I see what happened. And I'm immediately just thinking like, that's a ground rule double, but Yanni Diaz had hit third. I was like, there's no way that Yanni Diaz wasn't at third. They're just going to award him home. I text in the group chat and I said, I I said, if the Rays don't get awarded a run here, there's, uh, I I, I can't, you know, I don't know what to say. This is prior to me knowing any of the, the rules or anything. That's just my immediate reaction. Then you find out that, and LJ, this is where we're going to start to get into it. And the rule is the rule. And I understand why it's written this way. Well, I, I don't understand why it's written this way because this rule was written 150 years ago. With- written, I, I also, I will say now, I will give you a lot of leeway with complaining about a rule being stupid. See, I did that earlier this month. So if you want to flat out say this rule is stupid. The dumb rule. Okay. Um, All right. Now that we've now that we've gotten it both established on even sides, so, neither of us are going to be doing pointless discussion like that now. So okay. continue. Uh, because the ball bounces off a of Hunter Renfro, because he misplays the ball, because the fielder makes a bad play, it somehow penalizes the offensive team and it's a ground rule double make that make sense to me all right well for starters can i make the argument that hunter renfro didn't even make a play because it almost looked like he overran the ball because his arm basically what happens is for a little more detail when it comes back off the warning track, it hits his arm, but he never moved his arm even towards like the ball. Like it wasn't like he even reacted to the ball. So in a way, it's like it hit a bird and bounced into the stands. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, Brandon. But I mean, the rule is written as such that 
a ball is considered a live batted ball until it is until a clean fielding move has been made on it. Right. You have, and it's not in, and that's a judgment call, which we all know in baseball, everyone loves judgment calls. We're going to get into what happened in the White Sox game with a judgment call. But, but we can all but we can all agree that there was no clean fielding move made towards absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can even move, didn't even make a play towards it. And it's certainly also the other thing you have to look at for was was it intentional? And I, I don't clearly if, it, if it's intentional. Would you be the dumbass Hunter Renfro who tried to save it from Hunter Renfro almost gave the game to Tampa. If you noticed after that play, because he drove, he, he dives towards the bullpen to try to save it from going out. He doesn't know the rule. He thinks that it's, I don't know what he's thinking, but anyone who's playing the outfield is going to try to recover the ball. It's just natural instinct to reach it out and not let it go over the fence. It turns out to be a it's a ground rule double uh, after all of that, which means the runners only get to advance two bases. Uh, and look, this is very similar to like the tuck rule play in the NFL, where the rule is written that like something stupid like this can happen. And like I said, the fielder can. And I won't even say like misplay, but just not play the ball not to play the ball <laughs> yeah just not play the ball correctly i guess is the right term because he was out of position you could say and it just bounces off of him and goes over into the stands like i just it's one of the craziest plays that i've ever seen and then you put the context of when this is happening in the game and that's why this is so blown out of proportion LJ, this exact same play ha- happened with Tommy Pham back in 2017. That's, that's what I was about to mention. Yeah. And oh, is that the one in left field? Yes, when Tommy yeah. Pham was on. No, the, that one was worse. That was pretty dumb because he had it in his glove and then somehow it just ended up out of his glove, of his into glove the, and bounced into the stands. <laughs> and it was the same ruling, believe it or not, exact same ruling. They called it a ground rule double. And that honestly was the thing that made me most comfortable because like you know i don't i don't love getting i don't like getting cheap wins mm-hmm. but like if a, if a call was like atrocious it does kind of take some of the it does take something off a little bit off of a win but i felt by no means it was a cheap win in that regard after seeing both kevin cash's interview where he had absolutely no qualms about this call it's well because it's the right yeah. ruling. It's it's the absolute right ruling. It's just a dumb rule. Like that's okay. all it is. But like I think the majority of other managers would be up in arms about this because they didn't know the rule. But this dude is such a, uh, I guess you could call him a baseball wizard, with the type of stuff that he tries to pull by um, finagling through the rule book, that he knew this rule all too well. He got the play with Tommy Pham several years ago. That's how it, because if I'm correct, the runner had initially been over at third. Right. Yep. So he ended up getting a, a base back on that a couple of years ago. So he knew darn well that, that was the that was the perfect call there. So that that it makes you feel good. Right. Like, and, and it should make the umpires feel good too, because for all all the times we talk about 
umpire umpiring crews getting things wrong, it it feels really good to be able to say this crew did a really good job with several calls. The Manny Margot call, this this and this call in particular, they did a really good job. They got those perfectly and they handled that call very well in terms of explaining it all. The other thing, Brandon, I'm I'm glad they didn't do too much discretion stuff with the run. Now keep in mind we'll talk about the bottom of the inning in a minute, but spoiler alert, adding that extra run runner at third base wouldn't have mattered. But I'm gonna disagree with that in a minute. Right. It technically did not it did not matter. But um either way, I I am in the camp that in a playoff game there is no reason that you should be taking it out of the out of the players' hands. And I think when you use more discretion than is just the base rule, then that becomes a little sketchy to me. So overall, I think this was a I think this was the best way to handle this call. For all and look, I I completely agree with that. Other than the fact where every Red Sox fan is saying, oh well, it didn't matter. You don't know that because what, depending on what the score is and where runners are, are on base, the entire moment changes. The entire plate appearance, the pitch selection, the pressure on the pitcher, where runners are on base, the signs, everything changes. And look, do, does uh, Mike, Mike Zunino end up striking out? Maybe, but we don't know. And that's the thing is that I think in baseball – you can't just do a cause and effect just like that because so much does end up changing in my mind. At the same time, I'm going to bring up the counterpoint of so much changes throughout all of baseball that if you don't do cause and effect, nothing can happen. No, you're right. But I think in this case where you're like changing a variable, a pretty big variable. I can can argue from my own headspace, putting myself in the position. It was probably more, there was probably more pressure on Nick Pavetta having the runners on second and third than having the runner score. But he'd be losing at that point. Yes, but the fact that he just lost and then having it taken back and having to not lose again, I think in my head would make me so much tighter than already being losing. Hmm. It's, it's certainly an interesting case to, to be talked about, but yeah, bottom 13, uh, JD Martinez starts off the inning with another deep fly out to center field. Mammoth one, by the way, I, it also should be mentioned that by like the eighth inning of this game, the fans were so carried away that if you put anything in the air, you thought it was gone on the broadcast, including this one, which almost was gone. There was, there was another one he hit that was a lot closer to a home run earlier in extra innings, believe it or not, than this one in the 13th. Uh, Hunter Renfro walks, Christian Vasquez, then homers. I walk off homer in the bottom of the 13th inning for the Red Sox to win six to four. Absolutely brutal loss for the Rays, not only because of everything we just talked about, but they use nine pitchers in this game and they have to play tomorrow, the very next day. And sure, not a single pitcher went over two innings, but 
I think that our guy JT last name and uh and David Robertson, they both have pitched in all three games this series. There's no way that they're gonna be available tomorrow. I don't know who the Rays, I don't think the Rays have announced a starter, right? Uh no, the the, the sound of it is it's gonna be a bullpen game. And the Red Sox have announced a starter, LJ. According to MLB.com, Eduardo Rodriguez will be taking the bump uh, in a potential game-winning or series-winning game four. You know, the thing with that, too, is I don't feel like there's that much pressure to stick with him too long. No. Because realistically, the only person who should be unavailable or the all right there's only there's only two people that should be unavailable hauk and pavetta yeah because hauk will be the either game five or game one starter and um pavetta of course throws at least i believe it was 60 pitches tonight in this win four innings three hits one walk and seven strikeouts absolutely absolute dominance from him but i believe it ended up being 67 pitches in relief for this guy so and only four innings so that's that's a pretty good say his series is probably done well let's get on to this astros white Sox game then we do have to get to our mvp ballots but yeah, oh, do you have anything else like, yeah i hadn't been i wasn't done with the uh raise pitching oh that's right yep yeah i think overall it goes to show the difference in how the how how two different seeds and how the expectations going into a season and going into a playoffs change your mindset with this stuff this red sox team was the fourth worst team in the entire league in in all of major league baseball last year they weren't expected to fi- finish any more than like 500 was going to be a successful season for them for a lot of people all of a sudden, they come out here. They make the they make the playoffs. They win the wild card. They go to the DS, and all of a sudden, they're playing a Tampa Bay team who is the favorite to walk out of the American League. Boston knows that they have nothing to lose. That this season is already a success, and they're playing like it. They're leaving it all on the line, and they're forcing Tampa to do the same. So, at the very least, at the very least, I don't see a way that the Red Sox are absolute are failures at this point because the, the worst case scenario, absolute worst case scenario is that now that they lose in five games at a point in the season that they weren't expected to be at. And they will have made Tampa burn through their entire pitching staff before this CS. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And look, game four, on Monday, game five, if need be, would be Wednesday back in the drop. And uh, very excited to see what game four brings as the series has been very entertaining so far. But LJ, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this White Sox-Astros game because, quite frankly, this was just an absolute mess of a game that took way too long. Um, I, w- I had this on my laptop. I was more tuned in to Bill's Chiefs, but I certainly got a pretty good gist of this game. Uh, basically, n- neither pitching staff at the start wanted to get out or, for that matter, pitch good. Uh, 
just a lot of bad pitching, like pitches right down the middle. They're getting crushed, lots of walks. It was Luis Garcia and Dylan Cease, the two starters. Uh, the White Sox score one in the first, in the bottom of the first. Astros respond with three in the top of the third and two in the top, or three in the top of the second, two in the top of the third. At that point, it is five to one Astros until the White Sox score five runs in the bottom of the third inning, thanks to a Yasmani Grandal two-run home run and a Liuri Garcia three-run home run. It would be six to five then. Uh, Astros tie it back up in the top of the fourth. It's six to six. At this point, it had been two hours elapsed in the game, and they had only gotten through four innings of play. Uh, just crazy. Well, at least they were scoring. Right. At least it was entertaining. Uh, but – Wow. I mean, like like we said, the pace of play was just brutal today in both games. We're scoreless uh, after that point because in the bottom or excuse me, in the bottom of the fourth, uh, White Sox end up scoring three more Jose Abreu single. And then we get to this Yasmani Grandal play where LJ, have you seen this play that everybody is talking about? Yes, with, so. I believe it's runners on first and third yes. or second and third. No, no, yeah, yeah. Grandal hits a ball to the first baseman, Yuli Gurriel. And at this point in the game, they're trying to prevent another run to be scored. So they're going to attempt to get Luis Robert out at home. Yasmani Grandal is running up the first baseline, not even close to being in the base path. He's pretty much on the grass. No, he he was his right foot was at least like five inches onto the grass. Yuli Guriel at this point throws the ball home and it hits Yasmani Grandal as he's running up the baseline and ends up trickling away and allows Luis Robert to score. Somehow, the umpires don't call interference here. What are they watching? Are, are they watching the game? It, there's two umps that have a very good look at this. The first base ump and the home plate ump are both pretty much staring right at this, and they can't make the right call that he is out of the baseline. And they can look at this on video as well, correct? And I don't think they did, right? No, I don't, I don't think they did either. But like, they, in, to my knowledge of the rules, there's no reason they couldn't. Absolutely crazy call there. Astros fans had every right to be pissed off. And Tom Howie and the home plate ump, his strike zone tonight was pretty bad. I can't wait to see what the ump scorecard is for that. Anyways, the White Sox go up nine to six after the fourth inning nice uh and then from that point on pretty much smooth sailing this white Sox bullpen finally steps up they go to para bummer kimbrell hendricks they don't allow a single base runner uh from that point on they win 12-6 thanks to some late runs off of uh the astros bullpen and also, White this Sox is a, avoid elimination. This is a brilliant um, 
this is a brilliant performance from the entire White Sox bullpen because, I mean, for starters, I will mention Michael Kopech does get the win here. And, you know, I, you know, you know, I love Brandon, you know, I love to be right. So as the guy who's going to win the series, it's nice for him to get the wins. Um, but anyway, yeah, he comes in, gives him two and a third. It wasn't his best two and a third, but it was, it was a solid enough two and a third. Three earned isn't good, but it's not bad. I not horrible either. In all terms th- of this game, he was really not bad. All, all things, all things considered and considered considering he left the game with them in a winning situation. Then you go to the guys who are usually supposed to be, you know, if they're going to use all of them in a night, they're going to be six, seven, eight, nine. You get two innings out of Ryan Tapera with three strikeouts. You get an inning and two thirds out of Bummer with four strikeouts. And then you go Kimbrell and Hendricks to close it off. What, what work from these guys in big, big and important spots. And the whites, I mean, that's part of the reason why I picked the White Sox to advance. I said, I love this bullpen. I think the bullpen matters a lot in the playoffs and uh, yeah, I, these guys are unbelievable. I can't wait to see what they end up bringing tomorrow as LJ. We have another game. Astros White Sox tomorrow starts at 3.30 Eastern time on a Monday and with a chance to go to the ALCS. What is this scheduling? I don't get it, LJ. It's the middle of a work day, no, school day for students. Brandon, Brandon, you realize tomorrow's Columbus Day, right? We have class. You have class on Columbus Day? Absolutely, yes. What? And it's not Columbus Day, LJ. It is Indigenous Peoples Day at Syracuse University. Okay. Well, regardless of that, how do you not have Columbus Day off? That seems like Isn't it a national holiday? It is. And every high school in America pretty much has it off. I'm 90% sure that like at least 75% of colleges have it off. Not us. I mean, this tomorrow's marathon Monday as well for us. So that's a high holiday. Oh, that will be very fun for you. So, and then the Red Sox game to cap it off. Wow. Yeah. So it's certainly going to be an interesting uh, set of events tomorrow, but I cannot believe you don't have the day off. No. Wow. Well, this is a crime. This uh, podcast is opening a formal protest, informal protest on Syracuse University. And the starting pitchers for tomorrow's game four between the Astros and the White Sox will be Jose Urquidy for Houston and Carlos Rodon for the White Sox. All right. Let's get into our AL MVP ballots. LJ, very excited for this. Uh, I made my ballot and I actually posted it to Twitter right after I finished it. LJ, I'm not sure if you saw it. Uh, not because I'm, there are portions of this ballot that I could very strongly be pushed into changing in the middle of this. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, um. Actually, but before I do that, why don't I go ahead and make a document that we can add up our ballots in to get a final scoring, our definitive MLB daily scoring? Yes, let me pull up the official uh, scoring for each. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Write the uh, rule. 
MLB MVP ballot criteria. Yes. Okay. So first place, hold on. I'll put it in the document, but I'll re also read it out. First place guy gets 14 points. Second place is nine. And then it's eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, uh, respectively from that point on. You can only put 10 players on your ballot. But yes, LJ, we will uh, absolutely do that. Uh, did you make a new one or should we just put it here in the show doc? Oh, I, I got a new one. Got it. Perfect. I'll, I'll share it to you while we go. And would we also like to do this from number 10 to number one? That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay. Um, LJ, would you like to share your number 10 player? Uh, yes. I, just give me one second. I do not have baseball reference to be able to flash some stats for you. Very important to have up. <laughs> but Brandon, I don't think this name is going to be any sort of surprise to you because this is a name that should, can and should be on just about every MVP ballot for the last several years. He is not new to this system. My number 10 from the Cleveland Indians, Jose Ramirez. Okay, very Jose. interesting. Jose Ramirez ends the season with 6.7 war, a 141 OPS plus an 893 OPS. Um, look, this is just another clinic by Jose Ramirez and a really, really strong campaign. There's nothing really holding him back, in my opinion, other than just there's nothing pushing him forward. Like, I couldn't. When I go through this, I'm not necessarily just taking a stat-based approach because I don't think stats tell the whole story of MVP. I think of what's around you and what, what you're playing for are also very important criteria to be put into account. And so as much as he was carrying this team, the fact that he was alone carrying this team just wasn't enough for this team. And they suffered. That's not his fault, but that I think held him back for me in my head from being the most valuable player. My number, uh, by the way, Jose Ramirez is on my ballot, uh, but yeah. at number 10, I have Brandon Lau of the Tampa Bay Rays. And I know he has not produced well in this postseason, but this dude is a really, really solid player. Uh, you look at what he's done since he came up in 2018. Uh, he's put up a 136 OPS plus in 330 career games. Uh, this year, he plays 150 games, hits 39 homers, 99 RBIs for those who are more into the traditional stats, which is certainly no problem with that. Uh, he ends with an OPS plus of 142, which I believe, let me pull up that page also, was, let me see exactly where he ranked in the American League, but still very, very good uh, overall season for him. Uh, was one of the key cogs in that Rays offense that, like I said, scored the second most runs. Uh, he, was, he had the sixth best OPS plus in the American League this year. 
Uh, and he provides you pretty solid defense at quite a few different spots this year. Uh, he played 133 games at second, but can also be used in the outfield on a whim. Also did get a game in at first base. Pretty versatile and solid player on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, I am putting him at my number 10 spot. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right, well, my number nine, I have to credit Brandon a lot on this one because this is a guy for me that just got flat out overlooked, and I take full blame for that, honestly. Matt Olson is my number mm. nine on my MVP ballot. Uh, run through the numbers here, 5.8 war this season a 153 OPS plus the guy slashed 271, 371, 540 for a 911 OPS, 39 home runs. Brandon, 111 RBIs. That is an impact to scoring. The dude crushed the ball. Again, it didn't, there, there wasn't, it wasn't like it was the most, dominant like he didn't control every it didn't feel like he controlled every game that's the only thing that i think is holding him back these numbers are insane if you if you'd asked me to guess his numbers i would not have told you this though this year because it just didn't feel like matt olson was commanding the lineup for this entire season maybe that was just the lack of me not watching enough a's games but i think i watched quite a few a's games throughout the year to be able to tell this so that's what's holding him back a little bit, but that's no shame on this season. He is a fantastic baseball player. He absolutely is. Another player who is on my ballot also. Uh, my number nine player is Kyle Tucker of the Houston Astros. Uh, look, in terms of war, he finishes with 5.7 this year. And an extremely productive offensive season. Uh, 30 home runs with a 294 batting average, on base percentage up there at 360, 557 slug. That's good for a 917 OPS. Uh, he's also a very solid uh, outfielder. I believe, yes, he had the highest fielding percentage as a right fielder in the American League, which, sure. Fielding percentage is not a lot, but when you're and when you're not making errors in the outfield, uh, you're you know pretty solid and ends up actually stealing. I believe he was up there in stolen base. Yeah, fourteen stolen bases for a power hitting outfielder is really solid. What he did for this Astros lineup this year, he was able to get a lot of lineup protection from guys in front of him. And uh, it's just a really solid player. He's only 24 years old, and he's going to be a stud in the future. That's that's for sure. All right. Well, I am now up to my number eight. 
Brandon. Number eight on my MVP ballot, a face you know well, Giancarlo Stanton. Mm, okay. Giancarlo Stanton finishes this year 3.1 war and slashes 273, 354, 516 for an 870 OPS, 136 OPS plus. But I'm going to actually take you over because we haven't talked at all advanced stats here, which show exactly, almost exactly why he gets put into this average exit velocity, 99th percentile, max exit velocity, 100 percentile. Hard hit percentage, 100th percentile. Brandon, this guy must have been just it. Maybe, maybe it wasn't always into an advantageous spot for him to get a hit all the time. And he certainly wasn't hitting it every single time. 46th percentile in chase right, ninth percentile in whiff percentage. So those aren't great, great contact approach numbers. But when he was hitting it, he was getting a hold of it. But more so to me, Look, Mike Stanton makes it into my ballot for one reason and one reason only. Yes, he is a very streaky player, but he got streaky at the most influential time possible. Brandon, there was no one more important to their team in the month of September than John Carlos Stanton was. I firmly believe that he is the reason he carried them into that, play, that wild card appearance, and he deserves the credit and respect that comes from that, which I don't think Yankees fans really gave him until this year. I've always been someone who has defended him. Uh, LG, you're going to be shocked here. I had him at number 11 on my ballot. I did not put him officially on my ballot, but I'm not going to fault you for doing it. Uh, I, incl- I kind of made a defense a little bit more of a factor in my thing because it is about sure hitting is a big part of the game but you need to provide something on on defense and unfortunately at the dh spot you're not able to do that uh i know he wanted to play defense and when he was in he really wasn't bad but the the defensive numbers really were not there uh, especially because you do get the penalty as a dh but you're right very impactful in the month of september and really in the second half very streaky hitter, but honestly, when like you look at his splits, he hits lefties and righties pretty much the same. He's pretty hard guy to pitch to no matter what. And uh, yeah, very excited, very happy that you put him in there, actually. But like I said, he would be my number 11 on my ballot. All right, my number eight, I'm going with Cedric Mullins of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh you know, he kind of got lost in the shuffle after the first uh, part of the season where he was red hot. He finishes the year, though, with a very solid season. 5.7 war, according to baseball reference. 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases. Uh, a 30-30 season. V- very impressive. And hits 291. Uh, 360 on base, 518 slug. That's good for a 878 OPS, 135 OPS plus. And he's pretty solid in the field as well, but clearly the best player on this Orioles team. Uh, also worth noting, LJ, I think the reason why he hit so good this year, he was a switch hitter prior to this season. Hmm. And then 
chose to just hit lefty this year. He did not want to continue hitting uh, as a right-handed hitter, and he had his best season ever. Like, the stretch of games he had this year, really, really good outlier for him. And I think that, you know, to not have a 30-30 guy on my ballot, I I just couldn't justify that, at least the way that I view it. So I'm putting Cedric Mullins at number eight on my ballot. I, I cannot fault you for that. Again, I, I think, again, to give a little more insight into my thought process in this, I didn't, I didn't want to hunt stats. That was one mm-hmm. thing I was bullish on was I don't want to go into this and, like, have 15 million stat pages open. Yes, I'll look at some, and I'll look at certain leaderboards that I think are important to me, but – at the same time, I want to look at impact. I want to look at noticeability because, Brandon, the best guys rise to the top. They're going to get talked about regardless of what team they're on. And so I think for a guy like Cedric Mullins, and maybe that is partially Baltimore's fault, he, it, he, he became forgettable because of the team he was on. That's not his fault necessarily, but at the same time, he didn't, his play didn't push them above the pack. I mean, there have been team, there, there have been seasons where I think we can both agree LA has overperformed. Their lineup has overperformed at least having Trout in the middle of it because he makes such a big impact. I'm not sure that I can say the same for a Cedric Mullins. No, that's, that's absolutely true. You know, I do think team success uh, should be some part of it but also remember i think baseball relies on the performance of your teammates much more than any other yeah. sport so and, that- and i get small market not really talked about uh and it makes sense and that and that's a lot of why I, at least i'm using the term impact it's not about it's not necessarily about record i mean actually i'm going to go look through my ballot right now because i think one two three four five, six. So over half my ballot didn't make the playoffs. Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't something like that, but I looked at who I felt had the biggest impact and that impact actually felt like it mattered towards the wins and losses. Five guys on my ballot didn't make the playoffs. So we are pretty similar uh, in that, in that matter. LJ, number seven. I'm going to bring it in. Number seven is going to be somebody who did make the playoffs Let's get back to Brandon Lau because I think it can't be overstated. Honestly, if his numbers, like looking at his numbers, we talked about them, they're very solid. But if they were just slightly better, I could have I could have popped him up into my top five with ease. But, I mean, I just feel like in this lineup, Wander Franco did not play enough this year for me to be able to honestly say that he had – a true like MVP caliber impact on his team, but past him, there was no one this season that played like Brandon Lau for this Rays team. And then you look at their numbers. This is one of the highest run scoring teams in the league. If you look at the names and you look at the numbers on their own, Brandon Lau is the glue guy to this lineup. He's what makes it. He is what makes this lineup work. His versatility, 
lets them do a lot of different things and still keep this lineup working. And again, we were just talking about it. He doesn't have a hit in this, in this series against the Red Sox. That can, a lot of that is, should be attributed to the loss, the losses, because when he, when he is going right, this team is unstoppable, unstoppable. 39 home runs also is just monster. LJ, let's not forget game 161 for the Yankees. He hits two three-run home runs in his first two in his first three at bats. Uh three home runs on that day literally killed the Yankees that day and completely changed the whole game 162 scenario. So cannot forget about that whatsoever. And I'm, you know, when when I first set him at number 10, your reaction, I wasn't sure if you had him on your ballot or not, but to see him at number seven, that makes me uh, very happy. Absolutely. All right, my got? number seven, LJ touched on him already. It's Matt Olson. I put him on this guy a couple nights ago. I said, LJ, check out his stats, man. Uh, LJ already covered it pretty well. Like, look, the 111 RBIs. And sure, RBI is not a great, uh, stat and indicating value, but RBIs is how you win games, and it, it, it's it's completed production. Absolutely, and LJ the OPS plus one fifty three, uh, just the season that Matt Olson had this year cannot go understated. That's why I have him so high on my ballot. I believe in terms of American League players third and OPS plus uh crazy uh the only two guys he's behind is Shohei Otani and Vladdy Jr who we are going to get to but to have the third best OPS plus and also at first base uh you know he played 156 games he doesn't really miss a lot of games in his throughout his entire career the 39 homers really impressive 88 walks I love to see that, especially from a guy who really doesn't strike out that much. He cut down on his strikeouts a lot this year. 371 on base percentage. Uh, that's really high. It's the highest it's been in his entire career. Actually jumped up 61 points from what he did in 2020, which was an outlier season for him so far. And Elche, uh, this guy won two gold gloves in 2018 and 2019. So he's certainly not bad whatsoever. Uh, yeah, first base. Uh, yeah, that's why I'm putting him at number seven and uh, really had a solid season. Um, forgive me, I was checking something else. Oh, you're good. Um, oh, it actually works out. I was, I was accidentally working on the case I was going to make for my next guy in here, and that is going to be coming in at, I believe it's number six. six. I, I, yeah, I, I misnumbered my page horribly. There's like three number fours, uh, no number from Matt Olson. Um, it, it it's a hot mess. But um, coming in at number six, give me Aaron Judge. And look, I mean, this guy fantastic season five point nine. Or should we stop saying fantastic season? Because no, they they all deserve it. So we'll say it. Slashes two eighty seven, three seventy three, five forty four on the year. Thirty nine homers, ninety eight RBIs. This guy, and if I'm correct, yes, he led the American League in championship win percentage added. Honestly, and maybe this isn't 
a logic that a lot of people like in terms of in it in terms of how I should be giving out an MVP votes, but it's my logic. And when it comes to impact, I think the other guys making impact around you make a big difference. And the, honestly, the thing that held Aaron Judge out of the top five was the fact that John Carlos Stan owned the la- the last the back end of the season, the end of the season that saw them actually push their way into a playoff spot, fought fight back to get back into one once again. All the ups and downs, it was Stanton that was coming out on top, and all of those. And that also is backed up by the fact that he is the only, I believe, Brandon, he's the, yes, he's the only player in the top, as far as the top 10 in championship win percentage added, Judge and Stanton are the only two pairs of teammates. Yeah, uh, LJ, I'm going to get right to the chase here. I also have Aaron Judge at number six. Uh, We both pretty much agree on what you said. I think thing with Aaron Judge, why he uh, is so, in, at least in this spot for me, just the consistency. He never goes through a cold stretch, really. I mean, what he brought to the team this year, highest batting average of his entire career at 287. The strikeout numbers have come down significantly from his rookie year. And even in the past, when you look at strikeout percentage, he was sitting around 30% 2017 through 2019. He cut that down to 25% this year. Uh, Really just a much better approach at the plate. The home runs are still there. Uh, 6.2% home run rate. He ends with 39 on the year, which seems like a pretty common number for a lot of these guys to end with uh, almost 100 RBIs. LJ said it well, the championship win probability added, I was going to bring that up. Uh, I think that's a great stat, especially when shows that he, he showed up in the biggest moments when we needed him and just so consistent really throughout his entire career. Uh, and one of my favorite players to watch day in and day out. So yeah, Aaron judge at number six for both of us. All right. Before we move into the top, our top fives, go over where guys are sitting in terms of points right now. Aaron Judge, surprise, surprise, getting two five-pointers here, is currently the favorite to win the American League MVP. Whether out of these five, up, yes. But whether, out of these five, out of, out of the bottom five of our bracket, he is the leader at 10. We'll see if that can hold up. But um, uh, he comes in at one right now. Then we've got Matt Olson at six. Brandon Lau at five, and then you got Mullins, Stanton, Tucker, Ramirez. All right, coming in at number five, we are going to go to number two in American League win probability added, Rafael Devers. Now, before I get into his, again, fantastic season, everything that he brings to the table as he just, you know, consistently rips the cover off the ball, found so many, the statistics prove he found so many big moments to add into this game. I'll tell you his uh, line and then I'll explain why I feel so strongly about this. Um, 279, 352, 538 for an 890 OPS on the year. He hits 30, 
37 doubles. That wasn't what I was looking for. 38 home runs and 113 RBIs. Again, RBIs, while everybody likes to think of it as the clutch stat, it's not. But it certainly is a show of actual of run scoring execution and how many runs he's actually capable of plating when given those opportunities. And I think that's great. But more so to me, I watched a boatload of Red Sox baseball this year. There wasn't another player. I don't think Xander Bogarts was that close to me to being somebody who would take away from Rafael Devers. Stanton and Judge are a one-two. And as much as great as this Red Sox lineup was, I think the value Devers gave to this team was so much more than any other player did on the whole season scale that he really, he was the lineup. He was the mate, the guy all year consistently. So that's really what pushed him over judge was not having that second person that I think competed for true impact. Rafael Devers was my number 12 player on my ballot. Um, look, LJ, you certainly watched a lot more Red Sox than I did. And look, all of his stats seem to back it up. He's a fantastic hitter. Don't get me wrong. His fielding just it's not that bad. I, I just it's not that I just bad. can't, LJ. And I, I know once on. once a JD leaves after uh, after this offseason. Um, Whoa, that's a hot take. All right. Well, in giving him that bag a couple year. of years, a couple of years, he's going to be the full-time DH. And it's safe to say that his uh, defensive war numbers will actually improve when he has the DH penalty applied to him and he, and he never has to see the field again. Um, fantastic hitter. You're right. The RBI is certainly there. Uh, I just couldn't justify putting him in my top 10. I was closer to putting Xander Bogarts in my top 10 than I was Rafi Devers. However, Xander Bogarts was also in the first percentile for outs above average. So I don't know. The left side of your guys infield needs a little bit of work, I think, at least uh, defensively. Two tremendous hitters who are both top players at their respective positions. The fielding, though, is a little bit suspect. Can we just, again, take a little time to appreciate the potential that is coming with all of this, um, I guess, corner infield and left side of infield talent? We're talking about, yes, it should be, it should be an absolutely monster loss to lose um, J.D. Martinez in free agency to let him walk. But in some ways, it almost feels like a win because by the end of next year, you could be talking about a lineup that has Rafael Devers hitting bombs out of the DH spot, Bobby Dahlbeck hitting bombs from third base and playing a much better third base than Rafael Devers, and then Christian, Tristan Cassius hitting bombs from first base. That's, a world, maybe that's the world I really want to Hitting bombs from second base. And then only a couple, and then a couple more years until we have to figure out where the hell Marcelo Meyer works into this. But that's okay. That's, we'll kick that can down the road. All right. My number five player on my ballot is Carlos Correa of the Houston Astros. 
believe it or not, ends with the most war, according to a baseball reference. I think in the whole MLB, like when you just look at hitting war, 7.2 is what he ends with. Um, And his season was very solid uh, hitting-wise. 26 homers, 92 RBIs, 279 batting average, 366 on base percentage. Uh, really did a good job drawing walks this year. I believe, like, and this is a guy who has struggled with injuries for most of his career, is unable to, to, been a, to play really a full season. He's able to stay healthy for this year, plays 148 games, and really, really impressive hitting stats. The defense was incredibly impressive. 2.9 defensive war, according to baseball reference. You go and cross-reference that with the outs above average stat, according to baseball savant. And he's in the 98th percentile. So what he did at shortstop this year was very impressive to me. Uh, And another key cog in that, uh, Houston lineup that just produced so many runs this season and if you ever got a chance to tune in the Astros games you could tell this guy was the best player on the team this year and uh, really had an impressive season and he's going to be a free agent after this year and uh, he certainly is going to get a lot of money thanks to this season in particular. Dave Dombrowski will be very happy to write that check. Um, Phillies, you're saying, huh? Phillies? <laughs> I, you know, I heard that. I hadn't even started. I haven't even started to think about potential. No, I, I don't even want to think. I about don't. That right I don't now. have the mental capacity with all that we have thought about and all that we talk about each night to think about it. But I heard somebody say Carlos Correa to the Phillies the other day, and I can't get it out of my head. Oh, don't even get me started. Oh, I don't God. even want to think. Man, stop talking. Stop. Stop. I need it. I need it. Um, all right. Coming in at number four. Actually, I'm going to stop before we get to number four. And maybe we might be making this episode too long, but I'm dying to know. Brandon, who are some guys that did not make this ballot that you really wanted to make this ballot? Uh, okay. Uh, great question, actually. Bo Bichette. Certainly, I thought, had a good chance. Raphael Devers and Xander Bogarts both do not make my ballot, but and it's uh, I thought really hard about putting either of them at my number 10 spot. And, you know, I think I'm going to stop you real quick because I think this is also an important distinction to make in terms of just like as a, as a plus for Xander Bogarts. If we were making, if the All-Star, if the MVP was voted on in at the All-Star game, I think he's probably a top five. He's easily easily a top five for me. Mm. Yeah. If, if not a top three. The, the thing is, I mean, and this is stuff you can't help. I mean, how, how differently would we be looking at this ballot if um, Byron Buxton and Mike Trout absolutely i i can't even imagine throwing those two into this mix with this ballot with the way that they were playing this year it would have been a totally different situation so he falls in that same camp look 
his counting numbers don't look good, look as good as he played. That's because he spent the entirety of late July and the beginning of early August with a ridiculous hand injury that he shouldn't have been playing through. That's just, you know, the captain in him uh, sticking it out. He gets COVID and then he gets COVID at the end of the month. I mean, it was just, you know, it's those types of injuries that the game, the game log this year isn't necessarily going to show it, but his numbers show that he is not nearly as, as good. The numbers aren't nearly as good as he was playing. And then the last two guys I at least wanted to mention, uh, Jorge Polanco thought hard about putting him in. Maybe uh, there was just too many other good guys. And then, of course, Salvador Perez, uh, just probably one of the best hitting seasons for a catcher ever. But there was just too many other good players this year in the American League. And I'm going to run into this problem in the National League bout, which I, I'm already stressing out about thinking about how I'm going to approach that ballot. But uh, yeah, this was a really, really deep class here, at least in the American League this year. A lot of guys with very similar stat lines, and that's where you just kind of have to see what you value the most. And it's a lot of guys that you like to. Like there were oh, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, it broke my heart not to put in here. Guys that just missed my ballot. Um, and then some of these might be a little bit of a spoiler alert, especially with uh, Brandon's list. Carlos Correa, okay. very, very nearly missed. Another guy who very nearly missed. Jose Abreu was my 11th. Interesting. Okay. Uh, he was Olson, maybe like third, uh, maybe like 15 or 16 for me, I think. If Matt Olson had not got put in, you would be hearing me talk about Jose Abreu tonight. And I'm trying to think of who else was on it on that in this group that I hadn't put in. Um, Robbie Ray, I'm always going to throw, I'm going to throw in the best pitcher if yeah. I had four spots. Like if the original way we had discussed doing this one, it might even be a better idea for next year, just so we have more guys to talk about if it's just going to be the two of us is giving one pointers to a bunch of people. But mm. um, I think if, if you, if you were allowed to do as many one point players as you wanted, I think Robbie Ray deserves absolutely deserves a one point in here but of course he misses and then the last guy i really felt strongly about was starling Marte. yeah honestly that is also part of why what, what holds matt olson back too is the impact that he had coming over after that trade just a fantastic year uh was it 47 bags 47 stolen bases total i i give I, I don't know, call me an old man, but there's something really sexy about some of those those stats. That's why I put Cedric Mullins in there, the 30 stolen bases, baby. I mean, that's that's where it's at. 47, man. That's a lot. Um, all right, so why don't we go ahead and get moving on in after that because that was the last guy I had of note. Number four here, Marcus Simeon. 7.1 wins above replacement this guy slashes 265 334 538 all while being one of the best defenders at second base this year look this was a fantastic season career year for marcus simeon and one that absolutely should be getting him paid this year handsomely 
probably by Toronto. And he should be absolutely proud of the work he did. The only, the only thing that made me stop and pause is this. When I'm looking at the cream of the crop in this top four, this top five, I have to really stop and say, were you everything to your team? And I can very clearly make the case because of somebody else on his team that he was not the heart of this lineup. When a person gets it, I don't care what these number, these advanced numbers say, when a manager gets the Toronto lineup, he is not immediately looking for Marcus Simeon. He is immediately looking for another guy that I have higher up on this ballot who just, he takes the focus. He takes the center. He is the center of that attention from any team. That's how you plan your lineup around. It's not a matter of media coverage. It's a matter of who is the scariest man in the building that has proven that he's the scariest man in the building. And that was not Marcus Simeon, although it was a fantastic year. I will certainly be getting to him, but at number four, I have Jose Ramirez. Uh, Look, this guy is one of my favorite players to watch in the MLB. The way he plays the game is just, I, I just love watching him play and has genuinely been one of the most consistent players over the past X amount of years. Third in MVP in 2017 and wins the Silver Slugger. Third in MVP in 2018 and wins the Silver Slugger. Second in MVP in 2020 and wins the Silver Slugger. This year, he puts up a 141 OPS plus with 36 homers, 103 RBIs, sets a career, a, his second best year ever in terms of uh, walks. He cut down on the strikeout rate significantly from 2020 and uh, is genuinely one of the best base runners in the league. I believe Fangraphs has a base running stat that tries to estimate how many runs from just like running the bases. And that's not stolen bases and isn't everything. It's other stuff. He is t- top the list or been like close to the top in every single season of his career. He just knows how to run the bases. They estimated this year that he added an extra six runs to his team just by him running the bases. Uh, really smart player, fun approach at the plate, and an absolute Yankee killer this year. And like I said, one of my favorite players to watch by far in the league and had to reward him with the fourth spot on my ballot. All right, Brandon, remember when I was saying you're going to call me 80s boy for my love uh, with Starlin Marte? Here's where you're really going to call me it. Number three, give me Salvi Perez. Wow. Give me Salvi Perez. I'm all over this guy. Look, I'll get into my thoughts and my evaluation in terms of impact. And that, I mean, again, it's an eye test thing. I don't care. But let me go through the numbers here. Um, Slash line, 273, 316, 554 for an 859 OPS, 126 OPS plus. Brandon, this guy breaks the record for home runs by a primary catcher he plays 
161 games. Brandon, not 160, not 159, not 158, 161. He was one shy from playing the entire season, and he is a primary catcher. Now, that's not to say he played the entire season as a catcher, but to be able to get into that many games, you're not taking rest days, Brandon. You're catching, and when you're not catching, you're DHing. That's ridiculous. He breaks the home run record, and then, Brandon, you're going to kill me. The 121 RBIs, I look at that 121 RBIs with the uh, italics and the bold in baseball reference, like every single kid looked at Lola Bunny in Space Jam when they were there. Oh, my Lord. And then, honestly, to speak to the impact, you look at these numbers, these are fantastic numbers. And then you consider the team around him did next to nothing. Like he was, he was such a massive piece of production for this Kansas city Royals lineup that they would easily be lost without them. They would be losing significantly more games without him. And then I also have to give them the respect that's due for the fact that they were a very solid team. Like, I would have been would not have been shocked for the majority of this year. Actually, I'd say until until about July, if you told me that they finished second in the AL Central, I would have 100% believed you. So it's not like this team did not perform at a very high level, and Salvador Perez was a huge, huge, huge part of that. I certainly appreciate that line of thinking, uh, and it, what he did this year was absolutely amazing especially on the offensive side, you're right. His, his uh, defensive numbers, the sites do not agree whatsoever. Baseball reference is trying to say that he was an insane catcher this year. Baseball savant says he was one of the worst framers in the league. Uh, well, Brandon, let me start by saying, have we ever actually found a really good way to evaluate catcher defense? We haven't found a good way to evaluate any defense, but I still feel like if it matters a lot because framing is probably the most imp- most impactful form of of a defense that there is. It, oh, absolutely! I'm not saying the framing stat is wrong, but I just think that's the other reason I didn't even I had completely omitted WAR because baseball. I think in terms of the statisticians and everything that they've done, we have come a long, long, long way with baseball stats. We need to fix the slight that is always, it always feels perpetually on catchers because their impact is never properly evaluated or at least is unevaluable with the same common forms that we do for any other position. Yeah. Which I think just makes it, makes, it makes it tough for them to get a lot of traction with, within the media, within these types of votes. It just really, it hurts them a little too much, I think. And I'm not going to argue with you for putting him uh, at number three or on the ballot in general. Uh, that's, uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that do. I had to take a stance somewhere and that's that's where I did. And uh, I feel okay about it. And I also feel okay with you putting him there. It's one of the guys that I was really torn on. And I, trust me, that was one of the guys that I had to really think about what do I value here uh, in, in terms of my MVP vote? And that's the thing with the MVP is that there's so many different ways that people define their MVP that 
I expect everyone's ballot to be different, but if you can, you just need to be able to come up with reasons as to why you're making it that way. And you make very valid reasons. So I, I'm not going to argue with you, like I said. My number three is Marcus Simeon. Uh, what I think is most amazing about this guy, and LJ, you touched on him very well. He bets on himself. He's like, yeah, I'll take a one-year contract. Are you kidding me? That 2020 season that I just had was an absolute fluke. Look at what I did in 2019, where I finished third in MVP voting, and I played in all 162 games. Don't look at my 2020 season. He comes back in 2021, LJ, plays in all 162 games, okay? Leads the league in plate appearances again, and is on a one-year contract where he knows that he needs to step it up or else two bad seasons in a row and people start calling in like kind of a one-year wonder here. 45 home runs, which is the most homers ever by a second, by a primary second baseman. And sure, that stat is stupid (laughs) in terms of this. (laughs) But he still played 147 games at second base. Like, he switched positions, basically. He hadn't played second base since 2014. For him to come in, one-year deal, switch his spots on the field, and be productive in the field, but not like not only in the field, but at the plate, uh, his stats are just crazy. 45 homers, 102 RBIs, 873 OPS for a 133 OPS plus. Uh, a guy I was genuinely scared of every time he stepped to the plate this year against the Yankees. And uh, I'm putting him at number three. And that's, that's, uh, I can't believe the season that he had this year. And he is another guy who is going to get paid this off season. All right. Now for the most underwhelming reveals of this entire process, I will tell you it was, this will be much more interesting getting to the top of these ballots when we do the NL. Yes. But Brandon, who else could possibly be in the top three, in the top two of MVP voting than Mike Trout? No, I'm kidding. It's Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Look, um, Vladdy, what, could, what possibly more could you say about this guy? 6.8 war this year. Slashes um, 311, 401, 601, has a 169. 169. Nice. OPS plus. Um, he leads the majors in runs scored, home runs. He leads the American League in total bases. He leads the American League in on base percentage, slugging, OPS, OPS plus. This, under every other circumstance other than in this year, is a dominant, unanimous MVP decision. If you were to omit Shohei Otani's impact on the season, if you were to go, let's say you go back, yeah, let's go back five to seven years, seven years, ten years, and you tell them all about this season, but you omit all of Shohei Otani, they would have like a massive coronary over the fact that he didn't win the MVP. 
if all you told him was you showed him everything he did, everyone, everything all these other guys did except Otani, you'd which oh I just spoiled it. Sorry. Um, oh oh no. <laughs> um, he would he would think he would think the people were high that were making this list. That's how good the season was, and it almost pains me that he's not going to be able to win the MVP. I'll do not only that, and I also have him at number two. LJ, he's 22 years old. He just turned 22 prior to the season starting. This is only his third full season in the league. Uh, the, the 400 on base percentage and the 600 slugging are just <laughs> nuts. And then you're like, oh, my God, this guy hit 311. The amount of and like sure, batting average is not everything, but it shows aggression. It shows that you're not just willing to stand up there and take walks. He was 188 hits in 161 games, 48 of them are homers. Uh, you're absolutely right. What he did this year is an incredible season. Oh, oh no, and only at age 22, uh. I'm so excited to see what this guy is going to do for the rest of his career because I think he can. I think he only gets better from here. Honestly, he's just an amazing hitter to watch. And also to con- uh, contrast him with Marcus Simeon, Brandon, explain to me how you cannot make this guy the focus of your game plan. You, how, no, you, how, you there, there, there is no argument in my head that. As an opposing manager, you would actually say that you are more afraid of Marcus Simeon burning you than you are of Vlad Guerrero. He has every tool there, and he's executing on it from the very beginning. Well, LJ, we both have the same number one. Unanimous MVP. Drumroll, please. It is... Shohei Otani. Uh, I'm going to start off right here. Greatest season I've ever seen since I've been alive. Uh, I know some people who are much older than me who have said the exact same thing. You heard that stat earlier where I mentioned Matt Olson had the third highest OPS plus in the American League. Yeah, Shohei Otani was number two behind Vladdy Jr., and as a hitter, he put up a very solid five war, which is higher than most guys on my ballot. And then as a pitcher, he put up 4.1 war, which he's going to get votes on Cy Young ballots, probably. I think you can put seven guys on a Cy Young ballot, or it might be five, actually. So maybe not. But it, what... I, I don't a top 20 pitcher in the league. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in the American league, he's probably a top 10 pitcher. Uh, and I really don't know what to say about this guy. Uh, how many players that are currently playing in the MLB said that he's the greatest baseball player they've ever seen mm-hmm. or players that have retired or analysts or whatever. He literally does it all. He led the league in triples as a pitcher. Like, I think the last time that a primary, that a pitcher 
who threw over 100 innings in a season, led the league in triples, was like 1880. Brandon, let me also remind you, he is a pitcher who just had a 40-20 season. He is a pitcher who also managed to be, I believe it's, is it the first one in Angels history or the first in like, like 25 years or whatever? Actually, I'm like 90% sure it's the first to be a 2020 year. Had they had a 2020 guy before that? I know Trout did not do it because he stopped. He By the time he started hitting home runs, he stopped stealing bases. Um, So Trout had a 30-50 season or 30-49 season in 2012 uh, and then a 27-30 season in 2013. Trout has done 2020 quite a few times. What stat, what stat am I looking for then? Is it you 30, might be 30 20? 40 Trout has never done. 40 20 was it? Yeah. My bad. Uh, number, number and number is what I'm looking for. Um, and we're forgetting that, sure, the stolen bases are there, but his sprint speed stat on StatCast, LJ, where can I, where does it even show that? Um, while, while you find that he, um, he is one of the fastest players in the league yep <laughs> it's amazing and i would like to take this opportunity to formally apologize to show him tani i don't feel comfortable saying this is the greatest season i've ever seen and there's only one reason why and it might be a really stupid reason I don't think I properly understand what I watched. I watched a lot of it. I don't know if I quite understand a guy be, being a top two hitter and a top 20 pitcher in the same season. I've never seen it. And, you know, I think this is something that I'm going to have to go back years from now when I finally will admit this is the best season I have ever seen or maybe will ever see because it's just so hard for me to wrap my head around that. Like I think of other great seasons and they're just as good as this one. Um, They're just as good as this one offensively, if not slightly better. And that's without even talking about the pitching. That's without even talking about the added factors of how the difficulty of what he's doing, the added factors of, the added strategy elements that the extra wrinkles that Los Angeles can put into their roster building. That's another huge thing for him. So he adds, he adds value everywhere he goes. I just found it. He has the fourth fastest home plate to first base time this year at 4.09 seconds. The only people in front of him is Tim LaCastro who Remember, set the MLB record this year for most stolen bases to start a career without getting thrown out. Magnuris Sierra, who is a very young and incredibly talented defensive center fielder on the Miami Marlins. And then Byron Buxton, who has been widely regarded as one of the fastest players in the league since he came up. He's Otani is faster than literally every other player in terms of home plate to first base time. It's unreal to me that not only the pitching, not only the hitting, and you're right, because I do, I, I can't wrap my head around 
him doing that. But he's also really fast. Like, how is how is an athlete built like this? I I genuinely don't get it. It's incredible. There's I don't even think I can use adjectives anymore to say what this season was. It was unfair. That's the only adjective you can say. Because I mean, Brandon, there was a lot of the season where he was flirting with it. And I think we are in opposite camps with the Miguel Cabrera, Mike Trout debate. And I mean, that's a whole entire discussion for another day, because I still think that there's a lot of other things that impact other than the advanced stats and the overall allure of those major milestones is something that's huge as well. Vladdy easily could have had one of those milestones. He flirted with the triple crown the entire year. And if Vladdy managed to get the triple crown this year, he still would not have won the MVP. Like, how is that? You cannot give him the MVP and he just get, got the triple crown. What, what more could somebody possibly do? I, I really don't know. We have two guys, we have two guys behind. And then, we, and then even looking past this, you've got two guys who've broken home run records this year sitting in our three spots. Like, come on. Well, LJ, shall we reveal what the combined ballots end up coming out to? Absolutely. All right. We will go from bottom to top. 13th is Kyle Tucker with two points. Tied for, uh, what's that, 11th is Giancarlo Stanton and Cedric, Cedric Mullins. Mike. Tenth is Brandon Lau. Then we have a three-way tie for seventh between Rafael Devers, Matt Olson, and Carlos Correa with six points. A two-way tie for fifth between Salvador Perez and Jose Ramirez with eight points. Aaron Judge in fourth with 10 points. Marcus Simeon third with 15 points. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in second with 18 points, and Shohei Otani in first with 28 points. I just have to say, I find it amazing how completely different we uh, ended up being. I mean, Brandon, the two of us watched way more baseball this year than we ever did in our entire lives. We watched it together. We broke it down together all season and yet our viewpoints on this have still very much changed i mean it's not like i mean let's look at this we only had three spots that we agreed on otani vladdy and judge are the only three guys that we agreed into where they actually fit into this ballot those are the only three spots we matched and it wasn't even like we had the same guys in different orders i mean yes we all mentioned the majority of them. I mean, I think I omitted out of my top 15, I did omit Mullins and Tucker, but apart from that, everybody, everybody else was touched by one of us, if not on our ballot, on our runners up, but we, this is totally different. I think it's so cool. 
It, it certainly is. And the National League, which I don't know if we're going to be able to do tomorrow because there was four games tomorrow. I also have not gotten around yeah, me either. Um, it's going to be quite the process for me to do that. I feel like the National League is going to be an absolute just insane topic for us to talk about because like this American League, old, a lot of these guys, like we, it, if, if you gave us a top 20, we'd be pretty similar. A top 10 in the National League or even a top 15, there is legitimately like 25 guys that I can think of who I have trouble leave, leaving out of, of that. And really interested to well, see how well, we once, end up there. Once you, get off, once you get off the Dodgers roster, there's only like three spots left. Uh, it's going to be uh, uh, very interesting to see how we land there. Uh, we'll shoot for some time this week for that NL MVP, uh, but glad to be able to get this out to you guys. But that is going to wrap up today's show. Thank you all for sticking with us, listening. Uh, check us out Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at MLB Daily Pod, and um, see you tomorrow. See you manana. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 